Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. We're going to read through verse 21. We're starting in the middle of a story. We'll tie the story together as we work through because it does reveal the content. But remember, at this point, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Specifically, we see the group there and, and some things taking place. But it's not just the story. The story is essential. Because the story is the way that God conveys his truth. And he teaches real life scenarios to you and I. And I don't ever want to read the story and think, oh, it's a story. I want to know the story and the principles embedded within it. How's that put into practice? How's that maybe petition to God? How do, can I live like this? Could I know this? And so as we dig in, I want you to have that mindset. You're a, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're born again, you've received his forgiveness. You're one of his kids, and he will give you direction on how to live. So let's begin in verse 9 of Mark 8. Read through it, and then we'll come back and walk through in kind of a break-it-down fashion. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000. And Jesus sent them away, immediately got into the boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Verse 13, And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of, the Her- of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. Verse 17, But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? Once again, let's go back up to the top and walk through the story. And and, and I believe it's going to be very clear and even maybe encouraging how we can put some of these principles into practice, but also stay away from certain things that we can uncover and see and how not to be, if you would. In verse 11, we're told that the Pharisees had came out and began to dispute with him. The Pharisees were a group of people with a purpose. In the Jewish order, if you would, in simply in simplicity, that the Pharisees were functionally to guard the Old Testament as you and I would know it. They, they were to make sure that the word was not uh, in any way deleted, modified. So they were to kind of give the understanding to it. But what they practiced betrayed their purpose. See, they were supposed to, in a sense, reflect the word of God and instead... They represented religion. Religion is is man trying to relate to God according to man's opinion. That's why there's so many religions in the world. You realize that, of course. Because some, well, my opinion that, you know, 
this is how things all began, and this is what it is. So they worship the sun or the earth or, you know, uh, little statues or they worship, you know, there's all these different things because men have, I think it's like this. Well, I believe it's like this. Well, you can have opinions, but I, I, it doesn't make them fact. It just means they're opinions. And religion is saying, well, if I do this and this and this, then God's obligated to respond in a favorable way. Uh, when we, responding in a favorable way is kind of how we say, the Lord will bless me. And, and, and it's really not accurate. See, God's design, he makes a declaration, really. This is how you will be in a right relationship with me. Putting faith in Jesus Christ is believing that he is God because we're told he is not only through scripture but through the actions of Jesus himself. Believing in him that he is God and then believing that you can't save yourself. Believing the only way that I can have a new life or be born again or have forgiveness or, or have a relationship with my creator is by his declaration. He said, no one comes to the Father except by me. So he made it very clear, this is how you have a relationship with me. And of course, man, we, we tend to come up with our own way to fix things. The Pharisee mentality is alive and active today, even in some church gatherings. As long as we do this, and if I do that and do this, this is how it's going to be. And, and we see a little bit here of how far off the Pharisees were, although they were supposed to reflect the kindness of God, reveal the love of God, notice the arrogant disrespect. They began to dispute, seeking a sign to test him. Have you ever met that? You remember that you've had them, the confrontation or the encounter when someone comes up to you and they're just, they just got a chip on their shoulder. They're just coming up to test you. They're looking to dispute or debate or argue. How do you handle that when you know it's coming? I go the other way or I become a jerk functionally. Because I just don't have, I don't, I just, when you just know somebody, they're quizzing you. Hey, pastor, so do you believe? I think, uh, I believe I'm not talking to you today. Because sometimes I'm, I think it's like when they're coming to dispute, you realize this is not a, a, a quest for truth. This is a self-promotion, and it's going to be a collision. But Jesus, he, didn't, he wasn't even turned away by that. He recognized it, interestingly enough. Notice that they, they approached him as if he was supposed to answer them. They came to him to dispute and to test him. Very interesting, because see, we can get that way. I was that way. Before I became a Christian, before I was born again, if there's a God, then why is this? If there's a God, then how about this? It's like somehow he was supposed to answer to me for all of life's problems. And it's like, and I get the logic, because I had it, you know. Well, of course he has to answer for the problems. He built it. He created the place. It's his problem. No, it's not. It's your problem. It's my problem, because here's the problem. God says, this is it. I'm going to create this. I'm going to be with you. He created a, a, a garden of Eden, so to speak. It's not like a laborious, laborious garden. It's just this beautiful place. He said, here's the rules of the place. Here's the, how the thing, here's, here's things happen. You can do this and this. Just don't touch that. Okay. Touch. 
This guy, man rebels against God, says, I don't want to do it your way. I'm not doing it your way. So in a super simple, you know, summary, mankind says, this is the way we're going to do it. And God says, you're out. Go mess up the planet. It's your deal. You deal with it. He didn't abandon. He just said, he gave man over to what man required. So the problems you face in this life, the, the, the hurt, the heartache, the horrible things that are happening to people, it's because man did it. Why do we always blame God? Well, because he could stop it. He will. He's made it known he will stop it. And he not only revealed the condition of humanity, he, provided, he revealed the solution from divinity, from him. He showed that this is how it's going to be dealt with. And yet these Pharisees, these religious people, had the audacity to go before him and dispute with him and test him, even though they knew a lot about him. They weren't ignorant of the miraculous birth. They weren't ignorant of the miracles he'd already done. But they somehow decided, well, I mean, he's going to answer to me. And I just want to be very careful that I don't ever go there. I was that way before as a believer. Now I realize there's a different thing going on here. It's real simple. Can I, can I make it real simple for us? This is you and me. So here, I'm here, and God's here. It doesn't switch. It doesn't change. He is God, and I am not. And, and he is not, he does not have to answer to me. He does not have to give an account to me. He doesn't have to explain things to me. What I want to know is more about him. Instead of blaming him or somehow putting him to the test, I just want to know the truth. Because look at how he engages with him. Look, I love his, repl- his, his answer. He sighed deeply in his spirit. So I don't know if it's like that because it's in his spirit. I don't know how the ex- physical expression was, but it's clearly evident. He's like, hmm. And they said, basically, show us, give us a sign. And you know what he does? Nothing. No sign will given because they don't read signs. The signs were given. See, you, you understand signs. Signs, well, some of us pay attention to signs when we're driving down the road. But they're there for a purpose. Like stop. It should cr- cause some type of reaction. Like preferably stop. Or you might blow through it. Like I don't, I don't care about signs. See, they were so stuck on themselves that they, they wouldn't pay attention to the signs on the road of life. They knew he was about Bethlehem. They knew about Nazareth. They knew about the miraculous. It was all embedded in scripture. They had the signs. They were written and documented. And they were revealed in their very face. And they're saying, well, if that's true, then do this too. And, and Jesus said, no. You got enough. Doing more signs is not going to solve anything. Which was true in my life too. Because I felt that, God, well, God, is, if you're real, then you should do this. Or, well, God, if you're real, what about this? And, and I really got, you know, kind of a sense of like, why does he have to show me anything? Would I believe? Would you believe? God, if I win the lottery, then I'll know that you, uh, you, you really care about me. Well, that would indicate he doesn't care, actually. <laughs> that would probably mess up your life. <laughs> but, you know, just, we have these odd little petitions and requests. Let's not go there. The Pharisee mentality is alive and well, and not well, it's just it's common. And it, you and I, we all have a Pharisee potential. We have a way of comparison, comparing and competing and see if we're more spiritual than that person or that person. And, and please, don't go there. Verse 13, I think you can relate to this. He left them, got into the boat, and then they go back to the other side. I don't know the timeline. I don't know from the time that they loaded up in the boat went to this area of Dalmanutha, engaged with the Pharisees, and leave. I don't know if it was just go over there 
have this encounter, come back. I kind of sensed that it was, which would cause me to say to one of the other disciples in the boat, does he have a clue what he's doing? Why, why are we doing this? We just got here. We got this big to-do with those dudes, and now we're going back across. What's going on? Would you, anybody else maybe? Come on. You're all a bunch of liars. Well, some of you. I mean, we, we just are tilted that way. So why is it going, why is God doing this? You don't say God because he's Jesus. They don't know he's Jesus. I mean, they don't know he's God, but get this. Let's consider three things. Sometimes his disciples make false assumptions. It was mostly the first service people. I don't think we'll have any of that going on here at second service, of course, you know, but because um, you guys are more spiritual. You stayed in home and prayed all during first service, so we'd be, have a good, I know how, you know, is it possible you make false assumptions about somebody, about something, a decision, a determination, rather random and just spontaneous perhaps, but it's proven wrong later? Having done that way too many times and having been embarrassed at times, other times I'm glad I shut up and didn't verbalize my false assumption even though I thought it was a true assumption because then when the truth come out, I didn't look as stupid as I knew it was later, but you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes, sometimes we do that. Be careful. Sometimes his disciples are not paying attention. He presented to them this, this thought, this principle, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. So Herod was a political leader, so there's this, this pride and this hypocrisy there, and there's this leaven of, uh, leaven always speaks of sin in Scripture, leaven of the religious community, Leaven, you know, it just gets in and affects the whole loaf. Well, they're, they're not really paying attention. They're like, hmm, he's probably talking about not bringing enough bread. And he's not even close to what he's talking about. I hear it manifested this way. Maybe this is an example sometimes. Sometimes Christians just get busy talking about stuff that's kind of pointless, in, in my opinion. I'm not belittling anybody, but it's like, well, you know, he did use the word leaven. And the leaven in the original Hebrew does actually mean this. So therefore, because he mentioned leaven in this context, he's actually referring to this. And you're just head spinning like, where do you get this lack of this logic? Because, you know, you, you always want to understand the purpose for the statement when you dissect the content of the statement. So there's a purpose in the statement. He, we, we can see it because we're able to look at the whole scenario. But if we get to dissecting the, the content of the statement without understanding the purpose of the statement, then it's gonna, you're going to end up with all kinds of weird ideas. And is that not true? Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody who talks about the Word of God and they go, they go off on some things? You're like, I have no idea what that's got to do with the content. But you can't sometimes interrupt them because they're using words with big syllables and you're going, I don't know what that means. I got to get my, my dictionary out or whatever. Anyway, you know, let's just be careful. You know, sometimes we're just not paying attention. We're digging into stuff the wrong way. It's better to agree and make adjustments than to deny and continue on the wrong course. One more thought. Sometimes his disciples become hard-hearted. Interesting, isn't it? And I'll be able to support this that I'm presenting to you in these next, next portion in these verses. Sometimes they become hard-hearted. Hard-heartedness is sometimes just a result of, of, of things going the same way frequently. It's similar to a rut, if you would. 
And so hard to hardness, there's always a, it's always a possibility. The more we're around Christian gatherings, the more we're spiritually minded, it seems like more prone we are to kind of being more judgmental or to maybe being more, um, you know, kind of resistant or reluctant. And he's like, you know, as we're going to see as we move into this next section, is, you know, sometimes we can be hard-hearted. A hard-hearted person is often the most pleasant person socially, but they're not personally. Does that make something? You know, don't think of the hard-hearted ones like, eh, serves them right. Idiots shouldn't have done it anyway. Serves them right. Oh, God will teach them. I mean, that's, that sounds hard-hearted, doesn't it? Well, what about the person who's just closed off and, and guards against any compassion or empathy or concern? But says, well, yeah, pray for them. Yeah, I'll pray for them. Take care of them. Yeah. Someone should help them. I mean, you can be very pleasant and very sweet and very, you know, like socially accepted and be hard-hearted. That, that's the crazy thing about all this. Because sometimes as his disciples, we just don't reflect his heart. Which carries us into this next section. Because it says there in, in verses 13 through 16, what we looked at, uh, their, their logic. But then in verse 17, he, he being aware of it, said to them, why do, you, uh, why do you reason because you have no bread? You know, what, what, are you, what are you thinking and I love what he does here because I want you to see as he, as he goes through this, and we'll see in the next portion, that he's not harshly reprimanding them or rebuking them. He's reasoning with them, which is what he does with you and I when we're either maybe a little off course or not paying attention or, or not really as soft and pliable as we should be. He says to them in this function and practical, practicality, do you know what I've done in your life? Do you know what I've done in your life? Because he would be saying it, because he, he, he specifically goes to two events that are related to their misunderstanding about leaven and bread. And so he, for you and I, do we realize, do, do you know what I've done in, in your life? Do I know what he's done? I know what he's done. I don't know it in totality. I learn it as I go. But there's significant things in my life that I know God has intervened and God has done things. And he has provided in certain ways. He's taken care of things. And we want to go, okay, well, have I understood what he's done? Because that's what he's walking them through. Don't you love the way he engages with them? Have you, have you, do you guys realize what I've done? Do, do, he would say that to you and me. Do, do, do you realize this? Notice how he does it. Why do you reason? You have no bread. Do you not perceive? Are you not picking up on this? Are you not comprehending this? Do you not understand? Is your heart still hardened? Is your heart, the core of who you are, is it starting to become kind of callous and more standoffish? Don't you understand how I've, what I've shown you? Don't you understand what I've done for you? Having ears, do you not see? Or eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Don't, don't you remember? See, it is different for them in a the physical sense. When he says... When you, did, you, did you not hear what I said? They heard audibly. You understand that. They were physically present. You won't ever be. Well, you won't be previously. You will be in the future sense. When he showed them things and when they've seen miracles, it was different for them. Here's my encouragement to you and I because we don't live in that time. We believe, as he told Thomas, we believe because he gave us faith to believe. And we don't get to touch his side to verify what he said. But think about this. 
God's teaching you a relationship of eternity. And he's not limiting you to these temporal bodies. And what I mean is, he writes on the tablet of our heart and gives us understanding to his truth and his presence. And he doesn't bring it in through the audible ears or the, the physical eyes. Why is that? Well, I think this is something to consider. Because he's teaching you the language of eternity and you won't always have this body. This is a temporal body. And he will be speaking to your very heart, the very soul, the very core of who you are as a person, the same way he'll speak to you through eternity. And you'll see him in a different way. So do you see why it's, because most of us would love to see Jesus just show up. We would love to hear at a minimum in that three o'clock prayer when you can't sleep and you're working things through, you'd love to hear his actual voice. You don't have to admit it publicly. I know it's true. It might not be Charlton Heston, but it's like, you, it's just him. But ultimately, that, that, that really is only going to help you for a little bit. Here's the problem with that. When I hear him with my physical ears, to be sure the next time, I need to hear him with my physical ears again. But he's teaching you and I the language of love, the language of eternity. He's literally writing it on the tablets of our heart. And they would be able to say, hey, yeah, we've seen it. You should be able to say you've seen or experienced his presence. Have you experienced God's touch in your life? And some of us may struggle with making that clear, but if you just stop long enough, because that's what he's telling them to do, 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 you, do you remember? Just a little while ago, we fed 5,000 men. The culture there counted men. Potentially 15,000 or more people were fed there on the Sea of Galilee on the, on the shoreline. And then again, in 4,000 people with several things left over, you know, all this, do, do you remember? Did, did you see that? I believe we can say or ask, have I heard him before? I have, actually have heard from the Lord through his word, not through my ears. There's an interesting confirmation, an interesting thing when we're reading the Bible or our hearts are soft and we're, it's usually oriented around struggles, but there's just, it's just some one verse or one portion or one passage, just, it just stands out. One that I've shared frequently and it happens often to me is, Proverbs 3, and I'm just working through something, and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge me or him, and I will direct your steps. See, that's not just some type of you know, mental practice in the, in the form of memorization. It's the very God of creation. When you're born again, He'll, he leads you. He speaks to you. His word comes to you. His vo voice, if you would. Do you not remember? I, I've shared many times because you know I, what I do on Sunday mornings is different things in my own life. But how I, I remember, and I believe that's why certain practices are good. Like I think it's a good practice to have a prayer journal. Right? A good practice to just kind of document, so to speak, or, or convey, not, not for public notice or public in, uh, view, but just between you and the Lord. Because when you go through a difficult time or something else happens and you reflect back and you go, oh, I remember. You know, many of us probably don't remember what we had for, for lunch on Wednesday and you probably commented it was really good. There's many, we just, with things, it just gets cluttery. So whether you use a prayer journal or some other way, just remind yourself of God's faithfulness because it just seems to be it's so easy to forget. 
And, it, and it's not, like I say, it's not how you spin things or make it look. It's just how things really are. Do you not remember? Now look in verse 19 and 20. I already touched on it. When I, when I, when I broke the, five, the bread for them, how many was left? And when I broke for the 4,000, what was left? I want you to understand, and I'm, I'm really confident in this. Jesus did not look at them with a stern stare. Let me ask you a question. When you fed to 5,000, what were you doing? What were you thinking? It's not that at all. It's not a, a grumpy face. No glare of disappointment like, how many times have I got to go over this with you? Not at all. It's a loving review to remind you. He, he's, he's actually just taking the time to reason with him and say, listen, so let me think, what was going on? So I said, what, how long? I wasn't that long. What was that? Oh, 4,000 people. Remember that? The whole fish and bread thing going down? Or the 5,000, you remember that? And he expects an answer. They give him an answer. How many baskets were there on that one? That was a lot. I wonder if he also said, how many did we start with? Not enough. Because <laughs> you know how those, both those miracles come about. God says, Jesus says to his people, his disciples, what do you have? Not enough. Okay, give me what you have and let me take it from there. So he takes what was given, offered up, he blesses it and multiplies it and they have more than they started with when it's all over because that's how he does things. And so he's reviewing with them and reminding them and remember... And I hope you can do that maybe this afternoon, maybe now. Remember? Remember that time, Dan? Remember that situation just before your mom passed? Remember that scenario when your sister's sweet little daughter died of sudden infant death syndrome? Do you remember how I carried you? Do you remember what I did in your life then? Oh, wow, yeah. Okay, just checking. Just checking. Because now my logic changes. It's like, okay, because he's just saying, hey... He concludes, it was very interesting, in verse 21. So they, they remember because they answer. So he says then, well, how is it that you do not understand? That's not dealing with just exclusively logic. The word understand speaks of um, to put something together, to connect it. So he's really saying to them, well, why is it that you don't take hold of this? Why is it that you're not connecting this? How come it's not like making sense to you? I think we could say, are you still thinking like you did before you knew me? That applies to me. I didn't grow up going to church. So I thought a different way, but then as I introduced to the truth of the gospel, as I start learning what it means to be born again and how to live, I start thinking different. Because I, I'm exposed to things I didn't understand or didn't know before. A genuine knowledge of God must be connected to the way we live. It'll actually be, be revealed in the way we live. To understand means to put together, to connect. And so what he's talking about here, how is it you're not connecting this? It's actually very encouraging. It's not a harsh rebuke at all. He, he's basically saying and encouraging them, you know... Um, this type of understanding brings transformation. He's not ready to let them live the way they're living. And they're the followers. They're the ones that are, have a really close relationship. But he knows hard times are coming for them. 
He knows exactly what they're going to face. And he wants them to respond to him in a way that benefits them. He wants them to mature and to grow. A transformation needs to take place because they're getting into a rut. And they're, well, maybe it's because of the bread we forgot to bring. He's like, that's not what I'm talking about. Connect this, please. Faith is awakened when we understand at a personal level who Jesus is. Faith is awakened. Faith is implanted. Do you realize that? You don't produce it. Faith is a gift according to Romans 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, even a measure of Ephesians 4. Faith is the gift that's given that then is opened up and allowed to grow. We don't produce it. We can't say, oh, i got to have enough faith. You're not like a little train climbing a mountain. The reality is faith is a gift. And when it's opened, awakened, if you were, we, okay, Lord, I, I don't know how to even walk by faith. Then we usher in or we invite in or it brings in this transformation. It takes us from being religiously tilted to relationally energized. To where now we're starting, I don't know how to explain this, but this is so different. So important. Because here's the truth of purpose as we talked about in the beginning. Jesus is teaching his disciples to carry out his mission. What's his mission? He's the savior of the world. Well, he takes care of the Savior part. That part's done. You don't have to worry about going to the cross. You know, he he is the Savior. But he handed off, so to speak, the message. He has appointed his children, his followers, those born again, to be the messengers of the gospel, to deliver it. So what we see is we are actually commissioned or co-missioned by him. And what is his mission? You know, what is his mission that he's given to us? Because it's actually a fascinating way. It's summarized in scripture. You'll find it in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. In Luke chapter 4, 18. Now this is chronologically, we're sitting here in Mark 8. It's, it's quite some time previous in Jesus' public life that he goes to his hometown. He's in Nazareth. And he's in Nazareth, and the practice and gathering, now he would go to church every Sabbath, synagogue. And so as he comes in and he's there, possibly the practice was because of he's a, a local guy, and who knows how the parameters, I don't know the, the procedure and the protocol that the, the Jews practice, but a person would stand up and read. So he is the one who stands up and reads. And we're told in verse 18 of Luke 4, as Jesus stands up among his hometown in the synagogue, he, he shares this out of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He then sits down and says to them, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. And they're surely going, what? Well, we know from this point, as we've read in Mark 8 and on through, he goes to the cross. He accomplishes the perfect work of the Savior. He dies for the sins of humanity. He's put in a tomb. He rises from the dead, conquers death and hell, and ascends into heaven bodily. But he also commissions his people to go and tell the world, go into the world. So what do we say? Jesus loves you, this I know. 
yeah, but this is what you do. This is what our commission is. He sent us to preach the gospel to the poor. The good news, not economically exclusively, but there's people on this planet that are deficient. They're lacking. They're poor. They're, They're not to be judged or somehow looked down upon or treated differently because they don't have it all together. We're to bring the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had a situation years ago where a parent had contacted me and they'd said, you know, I would really like our daughter to go to the church where you're at. She said your church, but I didn't, it's where we were at, the Calvary Chapel thing. I'd really like our daughter to go there. She's really spun out. Her, 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 her life, she grew up in the church. She grew up learning truths and knowing things. But she just, it just kind of went off course. And it ended up in a very big mess with different things involved. And that's all I need to say. But this parent is saying, I, I think she would, I know she would be welcomed there. Because she won't be welcomed at my church. And it broke my heart. It actually made me mad. And it made me mad for one, like, why don't you just leave that church? Which is really not the right perspective for me to have. I don't I need to worry about somebody else. That's their deal. I was so glad that she, she recognized, yeah, there's the, this person needs something and they would be received and welcomed in, in the gathering where we were attending and ga- this gathering type of stuff. So the poor are literally that or they're, or they're lacking. And we're to, we're to make known the gospel. We don't get to pick and choose and study demographics and cater to somebody that has the title or authority. That's, that's, that's vomitous in, according to scripture. He sent you and me to heal the brokenhearted. We get to be his hands extended and there's a lot of brokenhearted people in this world. Relationships went bad. I mean, people in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, that are divorced. They went through horrible times. Kids canceling parents. Parents canceling kids. All this weird stuff that's going on. And people are broken hearted. They're hurt. And notice what he says. Listen, I came to do this. And you know, he's departed and said to you and I, when someone's thirsty, give them a drink of water. It'll be just like giving me a drink of water. When someone's hungry, feed them. It's just like feeding me. Do you see what we're called to be, what our purpose is? It's such an amazing thing because we can be the ones to extend this hope, to proclaim liberty to the captives. In our community, and you get around very many people, you're going to know there's people that are captives. They're captives to habit and behavior and pleasures and desire, pornography and alcohol, and I could just go down this list. They're, they're captive to it. And this is the hope. This is the, the, the liberty. It can be, they can be set free. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we're to bring that and to share that. We get to be a part of that. Recovery of sight to the blind. In order to, for, technically speaking, it seems to me that in order for there to be recovery, there had to be sight to begin with. Agreed? So recovery of sight means someone could once see Maybe they were part of you know, a fellowship. Maybe they were, maybe they are born again. But they too are out here somewhere. And yet he says to you and I, not to judge them or somehow argue over whether they're really saved or not, but rather to bring light and hope and vision when they're departed, when they're, all, when they don't, when they're blind. 
And many people are blind to the truth. And we're not to somehow think we're better, but go, man, is there some way I can bring a little bit of light? See, Christians have a problem with light. This is my thought. We either want to burn their, their, their eyes out. Jesus loves you with this Q-beam thing into their face. Like, I want you to know the love of God. I want you to shut up. You're obnoxious. You're irritating. Stop thumping me with your Bible. I, I don't know what you're talking. You know what I mean? Have you ever seen it? I've seen it. Rather, we're called to be a light that would draw people. A light that would comfort people. A light that would bring hope to people. The recovery of the sight. To set at liberty... Those who are oppressed. Oppressed there speaks of downtrodden. And I think of it this way. To bring hope, if you would, liberty, freedom, to those who have been walked on by this world. Those who have just been, it's just they're worn out, they're walked on, and they just don't know what to do. And we're to bring free, like, just not, not tell them they have to be perfect, but bring in the hope and the truth of the resurrection. Lastly, we look at there to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Do we believe that we are living in the last of the last days? Do you believe the prophecies? Do you believe the one world government that generations ago pondered? And we don't ponder it. We're just wondering about the timing of it. There's not a person who's considered the reality of a potential one-world government, a one-world monetary system, a one-world system overall that would say, I don't think it could happen yet. Seriously, you, you understand the digital dynamic, the global communication, the interconnectivity continentally. It's all there. Do we believe the prophecies about that? Do we believe we're in the last days? Because... I know we, most of us know to say yes, but does our lifestyle reveal that we believe that? Are we living like we're living in the last days? And that's not pressure, that's not, you know, trying to get anybody to do anything. I just want you to ponder and wonder, because he's saying, how is it that you don't understand? How is it that you keep going on like nothing's going to change and, and, and planning for future 20, 30 years from now, but not properly dealing with right now? It's like, there's a few things to be aware of. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to declare. Now is the time to live it out. Now is the time for your loved ones, for your neighbors, for your enemies, for your coworkers, for whoever's in your circle of influence to, to understand love a little differently. And maybe you can use your, your words. You see what I'm saying? We're called, we get to do this. It's a part of what we're, we're called to do. So I'm going to put the brakes on right there. And we'll have the worship team come back up and we're going to pray because as we process all of this and dig into it and think about it, I just don't want you walking away thinking, I got to do more. I got to be more. It's really not true. The early church actually wrestled with this same thought. But Jesus said, listen, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. Hang tight. Until you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you so that you can be my witnesses. It's not about because we're in the last days, because we have an insight to a portion of scripture that we then determine to do more. To say, Lord, could you show me? Could, I don't know how to do this. You know, one thing I've realized is, is I'm not capable to lead people. 
I'm not a competent pastor, as some would compare. I know my weakness. I know me. I know what you don't get to see. But it's in my weakness that I realize I can't do this. And that's where I discovered his strength. When I know I can't, I can't do all this. There's just too much pressure, too much stuff. But if you would work in me in a way to bring about humility and truth in your word that you get the glory, then maybe something can happen. And I hope that's your heart too. I hope you don't think that, well, gosh, I could do it. Because the most people I know could do it, don't do it, or they can't do it, actually. So when we stand together, let's pray. God, as we would consider your word today and so many things, so, so much to, to ponder and wonder. And, but ultimately, God, we really know the core of it is to, to know you. And because we know you, people will know that we know you just by the way we live, by the things we say, and our hearts will be softened. I pray you guard every one of us from religion any form of opinion that would interfere with the work you would do, any self-promotion that would result in just a pharisaical mindset. And God, you know every one of us. I just have to say to anyone who's here today or listening online, if you don't have the confidence, if you're not completely certain that when you die, you'll go to heaven, you need to figure that out. And here's what you need to realize. Whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Whoever puts their trust in him, their faith in him, the Bible's very clear, will be saved, will have eternal life with God. It begins this way, just by agreeing with Jesus. Jesus, I agree that I have issues, sin, stuff that's just, I know I'm accountable for, and I can't fix it. And so I agree with you that I have sin. And I would ask that you would forgive me of that sin. And I understand a little bit that you can forgive me because you are God. That my sin was against you, so therefore you're the only one who can forgive me. And to remove that sin, you paid a price. You died and rose from the dead and conquered death and hell. And help me to understand all that. I put my trust in you. As I put my trust in you in that regard, guard me from religion, Jesus. Teach me this new life that you speak of. Bring these promises and truth to the forefront of my mind that I would live in a manner that would be according to your design and your purpose and your hope. God, could you use us for your glory? Lead us to people in this community. Connect us with people, Lord, that could somehow benefit, I guess, from the relationship we have with you. Holy Spirit, do a sweet work. Empower us to be your witnesses in this day and time. In your name, amen. Amen.